Section 17 of the $30,000 Bequest and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Robert D. Kinney. The $30,000 Bequest and Other Stories by Mark Twain. Section 17 How to Tell a Story. The Humorous Story, an American Development, its difference from comic and witty stories. I do not claim that I can tell a story as it ought to be told. I only claim to know how a story ought to be told, for I have been almost daily in the company of the most expert storytellers for many years. There are several kinds of stories, but only one difficult kind, the humorous. I will talk mainly about that one. The humorous story is American. The comic story is English. The witty story is French. The humorous story depends for its effect upon the manner of the telling. The comic story and the witty story upon the matter. The humorous story may be spun out to great length, and may wander around as much as it pleases and arrive nowhere in particular. But the comic and witty stories must be brief and end with a point. The humorous story bubbles gently along, the others burst. The humorous story is strictly a work of art, high and delicate art, and only an artist can tell it. But no art is necessary in telling the comic and the witty story. Anybody can do it. The art of telling a humorous story, understand, I mean by word of mouth, not print, was created in America and has remained at home. The humorous story is told gravely. The teller does his best to conceal the fact that he even dimly suspects that there is anything funny about it. But the teller of the comic story tells you beforehand that it is one of the funniest things he has ever heard, then tells it with eager delight, and is the first person to laugh when he gets through. And sometimes, if he has had good success, he is so glad and happy that he will repeat the nub of it and glance around from face to face, collecting applause, and then repeat it again. It is a pathetic thing to see. Very often, of course, the rambling and disjointed humorous story finishes with a nub, point, snapper, or whatever you like to call it. Then the listener must be alert. For in many cases, the teller will divert attention from that nub by dropping it in a carefully casual and indifferent way, with the pretense that he does not know it is a nub. Artemis Ward used that trick a good deal. Then when the belated audience presently caught the joke, he would look up with innocent surprise, as if wondering what they had found to laugh at. Dan Setchell used it before him. Nye and Riley and others use it today. But the teller of the comic story does not slur the nub. He shouts it at you, every time. And when he prints it, in England, France, Germany, and Italy, he italicizes it, puts some whopping exclamation points after it, and sometimes explains it in a parenthesis. All of which is very depressing, and makes one want to renounce joking and lead a better life. Let me set down an instance of the comic method. 
using an anecdote which has been popular all over the world for twelve or fifteen hundred years. The teller tells it in this way. The Wounded Soldier In the course of a certain battle, a soldier, whose leg had been shot off, appealed to another soldier, who was hurrying by, to carry him to the rear. Informing him at the same time of the loss which he had sustained. Whereupon the generous son of Mars, shouldering the unfortunate, proceeded to carry out his desire. The bullets and cannonballs were flying in all directions, and presently one of the latter took the wounded man's head off, without, however, his deliverer being aware of it. In no long time he was hailed by an officer who said, where are you going with that carcass? To the rear, sir. He's lost his leg. His leg, forsooth, responded the astonished officer. You mean his head, you booby. Whereupon the soldier disposed himself of his burden, and stood looking down upon it in great perplexity. At length he said, It is true, sir, just as you have said. Then after a pause he added, But he told me it was his leg. Here the narrator burst into explosion after explosion of thunderous horse laughter, repeating that nub from time to time through his gasping and shriekings and suffocatings. It takes only a minute and a half to tell that in its comic story form, and isn't worth the telling, after all. Put into the humorous story form, it takes ten minutes, and is about the funniest thing I have ever listened to as James Whitcomb Riley tells it. He tells it in the character of a dull-witted old farmer who has just heard it for the first time, thinks it is unspeakably funny, and is trying to repeat it to a neighbor. But he can't remember it, so he gets all mixed up and wanders helplessly round and round, putting in tedious details that don't belong in the tale, and only retard it taking them out conscientiously and putting in others that are just as useless, making minor mistakes now and then, and stopping to correct them and explain how he came to make them, remembering things which he forgot to put in in their proper place, and going back to put them in there, stopping his narrative a good while in order to try to recall the name of the soldier that was hurt, and finally remembering that the soldier's name was not mentioned and remarking placidly that the name is of no real importance anyway. Better, of course, if one knew it, but not essential, after all, and so on, and so on, and so on. The teller is innocent and happy and pleased with himself, and has to stop every little while to hold himself in and keep from laughing outright, and does hold in, but his body quakes in a jelly-like way with interior chuckles and at the end of the ten minutes the audience have laughed until they are exhausted and the tears are running down their faces the simplicity and innocence of sincerity and unconsciousness of the old farmer are perfectly simulated and the result is a performance which is thoroughly charming and delicious this is art and fine and beautiful and only a master can compass it but a machine could tell the other story. To string incongruities and absurdities together in a wandering and sometimes purposeless way, and seem innocently unaware that they are absurdities, is the basis of the American art, if my position is correct. 
Another feature is the slurring of the point. A third is the dropping of a studied remark apparently without knowing it, as if one were thinking aloud. The fourth and last is the pause. Artemus Ward dealt in numbers three and four a good deal. He would begin to tell with great animation something which he seemed to think was wonderful, then lose confidence, and after an apparently absent-minded pause at an incongruous remark in a soliloquizing way, and that was the remark intended to explode the mine. And it did. For instance, he would say eagerly, excitedly, I once knew a man in New Zealand who hadn't a tooth in his head. Here his animation would die out. A silent, reflective pause would follow. Then he would say dreamily, and as if to himself, And yet that man could beat a drum better than any man I ever saw. The pause is an exceedingly important feature in any kind of story, and a frequently recurring feature, too. It is a dainty thing, and delicate and also uncertain and treacherous, for it must be exactly the right length, no more and no less, or it fails of its purpose and makes trouble. If the pause is too short, the impressive point is passed, and the audience have had time to divine that a surprise is intended, and then you can't surprise them, of course. On the platform I used to tell a negro ghost story that had a pause in front of the snapper on the end, and that pause was the most important thing in the whole story. If I got it the right length precisely, I could spring the finishing ejaculation with effect enough to make some impressible girl deliver a started little yelp and jump out of her seat, and that was what I was after. This story was called The Golden Arm, and was told in this fashion. You can practice with it yourself, and mind you, look out for the pause and get it right. The Golden Arm Once upon a time, there was a mummus mean man, and he lived way out in the prairie, all alone by himself, except when he had a wife, and Bambi she died and he tuck and toted her way out there in the prairie and buried her. Well, she had a golden arm, all solid gold, from the shoulder down. He was powerful mean, powerful. And that night he couldn't sleep, cause he wanted that golden arm so bad. When it come midnight, he couldn't stand no more. So he get up, he did, and took his lantern and shoved out the the stone and dug her up and got the golden arm. And he bent his head down again the wind and plowed and plowed and plowed through the snow. Then all of a sudden he stopped. Make a considerable pause here and look startled and take a listening attitude and say, My land, what's that? And he listened and listened and the wind said, Set your teeth together and imitate the wailing and wheezing sing-song of the wind. And then way back yonder where the grave is, he hear a voice. He hear a voice all mixed up in the wind. Can't hardly tell him apart. 
who got my golden arm. You must begin to shiver violently now. And he began to shiver and shake and say, Oh my, oh my land, and the wind blow the lantern out, and the snow and sleet blow in his face, and must choke him, and he start plowing knee deep toward home, most dead. He's so scared, and pretty soon he hear the voice again and pause. Is coming after him. Who got my golden arm? When he get to the pasture, he hear again, close now, and coming, coming back to, uh, in the dark and the storm, repeat the wind and the voice. When he get to the house, he rush upstairs and jump into bed and kiver up, head and ears and lay there shivering and shaking and the way out there he hear it again and coming and Bobby he hear pause odd listening attitude pat 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 it's coming upstairs then he hear the latch and he know it in the room then put it soon he know it's a standing by the bed pause then he know it's a bending down over him and he can't scarcely get his breath, then, then he seemed to feel something cold right down must against his head. Pause. Then the voice say right at his ear, Who got my golden arm? You must wail it out very plaintively and accusingly, then you stare steadily and impressively into the face of the farthest gone auditor a girl preferably, and let that awe-inspiring pause begin to build itself in the deep hush. When it has reached exactly the right length, jump suddenly at that girl and yell, You've got it! If you got the pause right, she'll fetch a dear little yelp and spring right out of her shoes. But you must get the pause right and you will find it the most troublesome and aggravating and uncertain thing you ever undertook. End of How to Tell a Story Recording by Robert D. Kenney